Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. This podcast is supported by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. We've been using Active Skin Repair for a few months now, and I am seriously impressed. They use a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which is pretty much a superhero in skincare. It mimics your body's own immune response, helping to cleanse, soothe, and reduce inflammation to support the natural healing process. And let me tell you, it works for more than just scraped knees. Whether it's sunburns, rashes, or even more persistent issues like eczema or acne, Active Skin Repair has got you covered. The best part? It's totally safe and non-toxic. That means it's gentle enough for every skin type, from the little ones to grandma and everyone in between, making it the go-to for everyone in the family. I scraped my knuckle the other day while doing laundry, and my first thought was to grab the active skin repair because one, it doesn't sting like other products, and two, I knew it would help me heal faster. So if you're looking for a natural, effective way to handle boo-boos, check out Active Skin Repair. And because you're a listener, you can get 20% off your order. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code CLUTTERFREE. Again, that's ActiveSkinRepair.com and use code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off your order. You're listening to Wannabe Minimalist with Deanna Yates, episode number 141. On today's episode, I'm chatting with financial coach Sarah Roller about how we can make sure our money is helping us live the life we want to be living. If the idea of talking about money with your family scares you, or you're not sure how to start, then tune in today because Sarah is breaking it all down for us. Well, hello again, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's topic is a good one. We are talking about money, parenthood, stuff, and more importantly, how to be intentional by bringing your values to the table with all of it. If money was a topic you never talked about in your home growing up or becoming a parent made you reevaluate your relationship with money, you're going to want to listen to this episode and take some notes. And if you are driving or walking or just not in a place to write things down, then be sure to check out the show notes or head over to my website at wannabeclutterfree.com slash 141. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 141 to get more information about Sarah and the links to the things we discuss. But before we get too deep into the show, I just want to say that if this is your first time here, well, welcome to the show. I am honored to have you, and I hope that you like what you hear and you come back for more. And if you like what you hear today, would you be so kind as to leave me a rating or a review? The ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify are the lifeblood for podcasters like myself, and it tells me what topics you like the most so I can get more guests to discuss those ideas and go deeper into it, and it also helps others who might be struggling with too much stuff to find us and to get inspired. Also, I just love hearing how the show is helping you, like this review I received this week from Lolo Plo. I don't know if it's Lolo Plo or Lolo PLO. 
Um, But anyway, they wrote, and I quote, this podcast has helped to inspire and keep me on track to my journey to living a less cluttered and a more stress-free life. Episode 121, let me know that even those living this minimalist lifestyle can still face setbacks and it's okay. Well, Lolo Plo or Lolo PLO, thank you so much for your your review. Of course, we all face setbacks, myself included, as we are all human, and that is just part of life. I strive to be open and honest about that so that we all know that we are in this together. And one more awesome thing that happened this week, I cannot believe this, I really cannot, it is thanks to all of you who listen to the show. Uh, Wannabe Minimalist has reached 1 million listens. This show started, um, you know, I'm on episode 141, started just over two years ago, and and we're here, we made it to 1 million, like this big uh, number. So a special thank you to all of you who are listening and who have come back for more. This show is for you and I want to be the best resource that I can be. So please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out with ideas or topics that you would like me to discuss. I am all ears. And with that, let's get back to the topic for today. On today's show, I am joined by Sarah Roller. As a financial coach, Sarah helps families with the transition to parenthood. Her approach is focused on aligning your spending with your values, ensuring that your money is helping you live the life you want, and building a strong foundation for your family. As a mom to two young girls, she enjoys helping parents feel more of a sense of control during this phase of chaos and sleep deprivation. Give this episode a listen, and when you're done, head over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 141 to get the show notes for today's episode with links to Sarah's website and more resources. Again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 141. And now let's get to our conversation. Well, hi, Sarah. Welcome to Wannabe Minimalist. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Deanna. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so I'm excited about today's topic. We're going to talk about money and finances and how they work with our family and when we make different changes in our family. So this is going to be a good one. But why don't we start at the basics and you tell us a little bit about yourself and then how you came to helping busy families? Yeah, so I am a financial coach, which means I help people with kind of the basic day-to-day personal finance. So unlike a financial advisor who's working on your long-term investment strategies, retirement planning, I'm in the nuts and bolts of what accounts should you have? How are you moving money? How are you communicating with your partner? How are you implementing behavior changes if you're trying to actually change how you're spending and what you're doing with your money? I really geek out over the blend of where the personal or the practical side of money blends with the emotional side. That's what I really love. I am a mom to two young girls. And with that, I really enjoy working with clients who are new parents. I think that transition is hard in so many ways. And finance is a huge part of that. Yeah, just wrapping your head around incorporating those new expenses, but then also just kind of approaching money from a different perspective. You're working with your partner as a, on a team and a different level. If you have a partner, if you don't, then that's a lot of decisions to make on your own. But yeah, just helping people through that transition into that new phase is where I do most of my work. Yeah, it's a fun little intersection right there. So yeah, let's hop right into it because I love that you help okay. new families. Wait, how are they spending their money? We all want what is best for our children. I've traveled the world and that just seems to be the underlying theme everywhere you go. People just want to be happy and they want to just provide for their families. So you say often that the skills we've learned about being critical about our new experiences and our things for ourselves, they go out the window when we have a new baby, right? So 
What do you mean by that? So depending on when you become a parent, we've had decades of figuring out what types of expenses really serve us, what are more indulgent or impulsive expenses that aren't adding as much. We've learned that kind of impulse control, at least to some extent, some of us more than others, but we have an idea of how we should spend. When you become a parent, there is this new creature that you want the best for. You want to do everything. You don't want to be the reason that they are deprived in some way. You want to be fostering them sleeping well, them eating well, them learning to walk early, talk early. So it's really hard to maintain that impulse control and not buy all of the things like this bassinet, this sleep sack is going to help me. I want to do that for my kid. You want the best for them. Now, do we need all of those things? No, probably not. There's a ton of marketing. So we are easily influenced. We are influenced by ads, Instagram influencers, our friends, our parents. Everyone in our network is telling us what worked for them and what will work for us. It's not necessarily the case that it's going to work for you. Um, so it's really easy to be influenced into acquiring things, I think. And there's also, I think... Most of the couples I work with are successful professionals. They are good at things that they're doing in life. When you become a parent, you try really hard, but you're not always amazing at it from the get-go. And that is really uncomfortable to sit in that. That whatever you're trying to do, breastfeeding, getting them to sleep, not being good at it is really uncomfortable. So we want to find some quick fix that's going to get us through that phase. And not to say that there aren't products that have worked for people in all of those things, but I think we're really desperate to find the thing that will get us out of this moment. So that makes it really hard to not impulse control, to be more critical of how we're spending money. So it's really easy to be on Amazon at 2 a.m. purchasing all the things that are going to solve whatever you're struggling with right now. I've been there myself. I know everyone's <laughs> doing it. I'm not saying you should never do it. We're all going to do it. But trying to minimize that, I think, can be helpful. Yeah. And then, right, the backside of that or the flip side is then later you're saddling yourself with money, like with this debt. You're spending this money. It's making you more stressed out. It's adding just a level that you didn't need. And then also you get maybe all the clutter because you bought all this stuff. And Absolutely. then you get the guilt. You didn't use it. Oh, boy. Yeah. There's a whole monster that goes on. Yeah. There. I think you mentioned the guilt that comes afterwards. I think it's really important, especially in those early months to be give yourself grace. Mm -hmm. We all do it. Even as someone who is like living and breathing this conversation all totally. the time, I am totally susceptible of it. So the fact that you're going to make some dumb purchases, some things that you absolutely didn't need the white warmers. No, you don't need a white warmer. But, you know, if you bought one, it's just a sign of your love for your child. Don't Yes. overthink the mistakes or the choices you might have made early on. But how can we take that moving forward? I think being able to reflect on how you spent can be helpful to think, okay, what of those added value? Where are we adding value? What kind of either values or what pain points are most critical to solve for? And that you might be willing to spend a little bit of money on some of those things if they sure. are really the most important of all of those factors for you. Right. Well, of course, you've got you have a new baby. You have brought a new human being into the world. There are going to be things that they need. And so, yeah, you talk about needs versus wants. Do you have any way to help people break that down? It's easier said than done. And For sure. like I said, we've established that for ourselves. 
going into being a new parent, this is all very new. So it is absolutely a learning process. So it's hard to say like what exactly is a need? What is a want? It also depends on what your discretionary income is. If you have more money available to, to spend a little bit more liberally on like, hopefully, well, maybe this fourth sleep sack will be the miracle one. May That may be totally fine. But I think also comparing okay, this product might help me get through this period. But if we are constantly applying these purchases, like what is the long-term implication of that? Um, What are we not able to buy because we keep purchasing things? If it's, we can't afford to get takeout and we really need to get takeout because we are exhausted or whatever it might be, even if it's not super long-term planning, but even in the short-term, what are we What are the trade-offs, I think, is a helpful way to look Mm -hmm. at it. It is a good way. I like that. The trade-offs, right? Because, yeah, there something has to give, right? And that's just, it's time, money, sleep. You've got food. You've got a few things that can give. And so you got to make that balance. So that's really great. And I can definitely relate to that early spending. We definitely had more things than we needed. Coming from somebody who's a wannabe minimalist, who's been decluttering for a long time, I feel thankful that we did get that handle early on. It also helped. We traveled. So we sold like 90% of what we own. And then we had a one-year-old. So we didn't have a stroller and we survived. We didn't. There were a lot of things we did. We didn't have all the plastic plates and we survived. And so I think, too, if you can put yourself just... Think sometimes outside the box. You don't always need all the things. Absolutely. I think that's real. I think we get on this like, what is the normal thing? What are people, right. most people buy the plastic plates and it may add value. It may mean that they're not, they don't need to be as careful with sure. them. And that is great. And if that is reducing some stress in your life, absolutely. If you don't, if you live in a city and you don't need a stroller, great. Or if you are in a very car centric place, maybe you don't need a stroller, but really thinking about what is specific to you and your life. I think also being a little bit critical of who you are, who you are influenced by, whether that's social media, whether that's if your friend is saying, oh, we love this stroller, you've got to have it. I know it's expensive, but like, it's totally worth it. Think about, okay, first of all, do they have a budget that's anywhere close to yours? If they are, you're really fancy friends, maybe you don't need the same stroller as them. Or maybe they live in a totally different, maybe they've got a huge garage and they can just park their stroller and have to go up a flight of stairs. Take a walk up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's think about who we're listening to advice from. I like that. Just that one, just a little pause about critical thinking. All right. So I feel like we're getting into a slightly different phase of life now because we're out of the baby phase. Our daughter is nine. Like we're getting into more of that preteen stage. And so the needs change, right? So now it's less of my comfort and it's more of her comfort. So do you have any tips as we get into these new things about recommending kind of the balance for those needs and then the wants for this tween group? Because everything at that age is, but I need it, right? So as we walk through that, that next phase. Yeah. So obviously it's very age dependent, but I am a huge advocate as kids get older to give them access to their own money. Whether that's a traditional allowance or whatever that is, or giving them some control so that they can decide, okay, if every day you've got a new need, okay, no, we cannot indulge all of those, but you are allowed to have some that you decide that this hair accessory, this (laughs) shirt, whatever it is, if this, if you decide that this is the need, let them indulge in some of those. And hopefully they will learn from that 
maybe not right away. It could be a years long learning process where they are mm-hmm. making impulsive decisions that we as the parent cringe and say, oh, that's not a good use of your money. That's not a good use of space in our life. But letting them learn that firsthand and making their own mistakes is something that I think is uncomfortable for us as parents, but I think is really valuable, not to just being the best kid, but being the future adult who's able to make those decisions. Because if they're making dumb decisions as a tween, the repercussions of that are pretty low. It's maybe going to add to your stress a little bit uncomfortable for you. But if that means that they've gotten that out of their system and by the time they're an actual adult, they're making good decisions, like that is going to be way more important than them doing exactly what you want in this season of life, I think. For sure. Let's check that up as a win, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, instead of having to come to the rescue and when they're adults and yeah, get those lessons now when they're on yep. a smaller scale. Yeah. I like that. That advice is good advice. <laughs> and yeah. Right. And then it's also, yeah, great learning experience because let's be honest, we can have there. The world is our oyster, right? There is no limit to the things we could buy, possess, have, want. And so learning that there are some limits based Mm -hmm. on our own situations and being able to prioritize those. Yeah. I like that idea that you're talking about. So good stuff. Okay. So in there too, you talked about allowance and that's kind of hot topic for some families. And I've seen on the internet, you can, you have every opinion out there. So what is your advice? What do you think? What are your thoughts on allowances? Do you recommend them? You know how life doesn't stick to a schedule? Well, why should your paycheck? That's where Earn In comes in. It's an app that lets you access the money you've earned right when you need it, not just on payday. Imagine this. Your dog suddenly needs a vet or your kid has a little accident and needs a dentist, ASAP. We've been there and waiting for your payday in those situations just doesn't make sense and it adds unnecessary stress. With EarnIn, you can pull up to $100 per day or up to $750 each pay period directly from your earnings without the crazy fees or interest rates. It's super simple. Download the EarnIn app, verify your paycheck, and get access to your earnings as you earn them. You decide what to tip, and whatever you use gets settled on your next payday. More than 3.5 million users are finding relief and a sense of security with EarnIn, calling it a lifeline for financial stability. That peace of mind, it's priceless, and it could be yours. Ready to give it a try? Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Clutter under Podcast when you sign up. It'll really help out the show. That's Clutter under Podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Do you wish you could find an educational podcast that your kids actually want to listen to and you enjoy too? Well, you're in luck. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math, is a weekly show full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. We listened to a few episodes, and not only did our daughter want to listen to more next time we're in the car, I found myself chuckling too. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. You're transported to moments in ancient history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. 
Plus, they do a great job of teaching math theory without it being boring, complicated, or overly childish. And that can't be easy, but it's not really a surprise considering Mysteries About True Histories is from the creators of the hit podcast Who Smarted, Brain Games on Nat Geo and Disney+, and Brainchild on Netflix. Episodes drop every Thursday, and since they are about 15 minutes, they are the perfect length for kids ages 6 and up. Turn your next car ride, break time, or bedtime into math time with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. So I'll start with a caveat that I have. My oldest is a six is six and we have not started an allowance yet. So as I just mentioned, be critical of who you're accepting advice from. This is not something that I've lived personally, but we are planning to do low level in allowance on I think a monthly basis and then an opportunity to do additional chores to get additional money if you there's something you want that you don't have the money for okay well I've got these projects I've been meaning to get to you can help me with those and so you have the ability to earn more I think the conversation around allowance is is it something that you're entitled to just for being a member of this family something that's tied to chores tied to work And if it's tied to work, in one sense, that makes a lot of sense. That's kind of how the world works. But then it also suggests that doing chores, being an active member of the family, deserves to be compensated. They'll only do things that help the family if they are compensated. So my thought process is to have a low amount that is just, you're a member of the family. We want to give you the freedom to make some choices. But then if you want any more significant amount of money, that is something that you would work for. Hoping to bridge both of those worlds a little bit. But regardless of where you fall on that, I'm not hugely in one camp or the other, but I am a huge advocate of giving your kids access to money if that is something that is in your means. Because I think giving them the ability to learn money lessons firsthand from a young age is really important, similar to making choices about what fashion things are essential for you and which needs really pay off for you and which turned out to not be that essential. I think that making those money mistakes young really will set them up for being adults who are have made some of those mistakes already because going to the toy store and blowing 20 bucks on garbage toys like slime it's not great but yeah on slime but if that means that when they start their first job and are making like somewhat reasonable money if they're not making those mistakes then like that is so much more important from my perspective and I also think giving them access to money opens up conversation around money and that's I think what's really critical is being Willing to have those conversations. I think money is such a taboo topic that a lot of people, especially in our own homes growing up, it wasn't something we were supposed to be asking questions about. Mm -hmm. Making it a safe space where your kid can ask questions. You can be explaining to them simple concepts of what sales tax is. It starts really practical in the beginning, but then also like asking them, like, how did you choose that toy? Why did you pick that one over that one? And just getting to the heart of evaluating expenses and thinking about possibly saving for future expenses, saving money to give to charities. All of these conversations can be had if they have their own money. It just is a much more kind of concrete, tangible lesson for them. Right. It's much easier to spend someone else's money. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oftentimes those needs, their absolute needs, when it's, okay, well, you have $20 in your piggy bank. Is that how you want to spend it? Suddenly that need goes away. 
it's a good way to teach them what that what's truly valuable to their life. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. And like when I talk about decluttering, it's sometimes easy to see what items are used and what items aren't used, like what toys they're not playing with, what toys they are playing with. So it makes it a little bit easier to say, OK, not that kids really want to get rid of their toys. They don't. They don't have to. Um, but again, they are willing, more willing to let go of things if they know they're going to get a newer toy or they're going to do something else. So when they're spending money, how do you equate those things? Because it is a little bit more intangible, right? You can't, if you have the dollars there, you can see it, but it is a little bit harder to know, okay, I'm going to buy this and spend that. So yeah, how do you equate that for younger kids? If I know, and I know you talk more to parents in their transition into how they're spending money with their children, but I can't imagine that this doesn't come up. No, and honestly, it's not. The specifics of it might be a little bit or like the approach is a little bit different with talking to adults on their own spending. But oftentimes my daughter is six. She got some money for her birthday a few months ago and has had the ability to spend. And so we've talked about them. There's some toys that she bought that she still plays with quite a bit. And so every once in a while, I'll be like, wow, that was a really good purchase. You are getting a lot of use out of that. That was great. And then other things like we're not really using this so much. Is this something we want to keep? And I'm just trying to not be annoying about it, but to just articulate and draw attention to the fact that there's some things we got more use out of than others. And hopefully we can start to see patterns of which thing added value and which we never played with after the first week. Yeah. It's not annoying. It's bringing awareness. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, but it is speaking that I think that happens a lot where we have all these thoughts internally and we don't express them. Or by the time we do express them, they've built up to something else in our mind. And so they come Mm -hmm. out different than we meant them to be. And so I think that's great. Like having that open line of communication, because money is such a tricky topic, right? Like people get really worked up about money and I don't know, there's just so much emotion, right? We put so much of our, like our own self-worth behind money and all this kind of stuff. So no, I think it's great if we just get it out there in the open and talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. There's so much that's unspoken about it. We have these thoughts and these feelings and sometimes we can't even articulate them ourselves, but yeah. And I see, especially in partnerships where like you're doing one thing and your partner's doing something different. You're like, why is he doing that? That's such a dumb decision. But if you actually understood why he was doing it, oh, okay. That's I would do something different, but that's not illogical that you did that. And I think because we don't articulate why we're doing it, what our thought process is, it makes it rife for conflict. So I think being really curious, like trying to when we're having conversations with our partner and even with our children, coming at it from curiosity, a point of curiosity, not telling them what they should have done or they were dumb for doing this, but just asking them why they did it that way can be really helpful. I think, again, the transition to parenthood, we see you're functioning as your own independent adult. But then once we become parents, we start to kind of model what we saw as a parent. Or sometimes we try to run the opposite direction. But either way, we're parenting as a reaction to how we were parented. And I see that happening a lot with money, that we we just assume the roles that we saw our parents having and then we're confused why our partner isn't following along. But they're going off of a different script. So I think a really great conversation for for couples is to ask, what was money like in your house growing up? And just hearing them talk about the stories that they can remember about how their parents talked about money can be really enlightening and making it really helpful to understand, even if it doesn't change anything, but to be like, oh, 
no wonder he's always anxious. Even though we have enough money in the checking account, like he was wired to be anxious that there isn't enough there. Like, all right, okay, I, that's just what we're going to live with. That's fine. It makes sense now. Oh, that was good. I was going to ask you, what's the question you would come up with? So I'm so glad you answered that because yeah. that is super enlightening. And like you said, it might not change your approach, but it is definitely going to change your perspective. Absolutely. And I think that's almost 75% of the battle sometimes is just knowing why. And it's the same with stuff. It's interesting because there is so much parallel, I think, between our stuff and our money. And I think obviously it's because like our we have to use our money to buy our stuff. Mm. So sometimes we equate our self-worth both with the stuff because it allowed us, it shows status or helps us do something or just the things that our stuff represents for who we mm -hmm. are. And then I think the same with our money, we can have different perspectives or different ideas of when the balance gets to this, I will feel this. Any ideas on how to not equate our self-worth with the with the dollar amount in our account? I think to some extent, everyone does that a little bit. For some people, that's really tied to their self-worth. And I think a lot of times it, it can be based on how we were raised. If your parents really talked about people who had money and put them on a pedestal and saw that as a super desirable trait, then it makes total sense, something you're going to be striving for. I really like, obviously, money is quantifiable and it is hard to not use that as a metric, but I really like to shift it into looking at it as a tool. What can it do for you? What can you do with it? What future version of yourself are you building towards? What vacation are you saving up for? And really focus on what that money um I not can get you in such a material sense, but sure. what it can afford you to do with your life. Right. Yeah. And we try to use money more for experiences than things. And that's one of those ways to equate that. I think. Exactly. It's so funny. Okay. So I, I have a tangent story to talk about right now. Um, my daughter and I were driving the other day and I said, I am one lucky ducky that I get to be your mama. And she said, well, if you were a ducky, you'd have five kids. <laughs> Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, 
life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. I just thought that was so funny. And it and then we started diving down the conversation about, well, I guess if I were a ducky and I had five kids, I wouldn't have to. I said it might be a little bit easier because I wouldn't have to worry about sending those five duckies to college and feed and making the money to feed those five duckies. And so it's so funny that like literally this was like two days ago that we had this conversation. And so we delved into it's so interesting that human beings are the only animals on the planet that have created this system of money and put this worth on money, this thing that actually only has value because we say it has value. And so I just thought that was really interesting. I'm sorry, we're getting off onto a very like esoteric strain. No, but I I love it because you're having conversations that are not emotionally charged with money. It is. And so if money is super emotional for you, that doesn't mean you have to like stifle all of those emotions. But explain to your kid why it's emotional, why it's stressing you out. Obviously, in an age-appropriate way, you don't want to scare your four-year-old that you can't pay the bills or whatever that the case may Absolutely be. No. But giving them an understanding of how money works, how it is unjust and in- inequitable. I Last year, I gave my daughter Monopoly Junior for her birthday, mm. and it's been a really great tool Monopoly Junior is a little bit less like competitive, but it's been there's just been so many money conversations that have organically come up in the beginning. It's just counting dollars. And that's a great kind of entry place. Um, But she commented on the fact that she was she had so much more money than I did. And talking about the inequity, it's just opened up so many organic conversations that doesn't I'm not forcing it down her throat. It just comes up naturally. And it's also a little bit removed because it's not about my real money. Right. But it's a good way yeah, to have those conversations. Oh, I really like that. All right. Monopoly Junior. We've played regular Monopoly. It's not my favorite game, but she seems to really enjoy it right now. So we were going to kick for that for a while, but I might check out Monopoly Junior just to see if that might be. Yeah, I'm not sure. My jam. So my daughter is six now at (laughs) five. She was, it took a little while to get it, but at six, she's really enjoying it. I don't know what age that nine would like it, but yeah, I'm not a very competitive person. So maybe that's why I don't like Monopoly. I don't know. So I might have to check that out just to see. All right. I'm yeah. It just Any kind other of like games that you like? capitalism. I, like I said, so my daughter's six now. That's really the only kind of money focused one mm-hmm. we've, that we've been playing. We got a, a neighbor who has older kids and was passing on some toys. They gave us a cash register toy. Mm. And both of my kids have really loved that, especially like my daughter's three. She plays with a ton, my, my younger daughter. And just experiencing money, seeing money, seeing a credit card. And obviously she doesn't quite get sure what currency is, but I think it is a good gateway to, okay, you go to the, we play store all the time and just understanding that money is being exchanged, I think lays the groundwork so that when she is a little bit older, we've got some of that in play. Interesting. Sorry, I know we delved into the topic of kids and money a lot more than I think we had planned at the beginning of this conversation. What about for adults? Have you ever played any Oh, there was like some adult, more focused games on money. Do you have you ever played any of those or told any of your clients to play any of those kinds of games? No, I haven't. That's an interesting idea. 
And it probably reveals a lot of like people's innate yeah. tendencies and in a kind of a safe space because it is away from your actual money. I could also see if you're having some conflict in your relationship that it might be like, God, you always do this. Uh-huh. So I don't know if it would be necessarily productive, but we have a lot of just conversations about, like I said, what did your parents do? How did they approach it? What did you hear them talking about? What your first money memory is, I think is always a really interesting question. For most people, they're kind of approach to money or like how they see money working in the world is somewhat solidified by around the age eight or nine, which is terrifying as a parent that you're like, I couldn't talk that much about money, but just the things that they're like observing about the world. So even if you're not talking about money, they are picking up about money, whether it's they see you stressed when you're paying bills, they see you coping with other stressful situations through shopping, whatever it may be, they're seeing that and it kind of builds the framework. That's not to say that it's like permanent and it cannot be edited later on, but that is the default setting. It's ingrained by about that age. So yeah, that's... So anyway, asking about their early money memories, I do that with most of my clients and I find that most of them, the first thing that comes to mind usually is about that seven to 10 range is the Hmm. first thing that they can, whether it's being excited to spend money they earned from their lemonade stand or whether it was we couldn't buy things because dad was just laid off or something like that. And that has kind of been critical in how they approach money going forward. Interesting. Yeah. So just take a step back and look at that from an outside perspective, if you can, just to get a little bit more of a awareness about ourselves. Yeah. We're talking about awareness a lot. So yeah. And realizing they're yeah. going to pick up on things, whether you're oh, yeah. openly talking about it or not. So it's probably better to act say things and also make it safe for them to ask questions. I think a lot of us were raised in houses where like you should not be asking questions about money. That's rude. That's inappropriate. And I've been talking with my daughter about how other people feel that way. So like we may not always want to ask other people questions, but in our house, like you can absolutely ask me any questions about this. This is, you know, yeah, there's nothing off limits in that sense. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Lay that foundation with your kids because you want them to come to you and ask the questions versus their friends or Absolutely. That, not just with money. That's no. with anything in life as we're starting to enter that phase of life, which is fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Well, Sarah, I know people are going to just be fascinated and want to learn more. So tell people where they can find you and yeah. Yeah. So my website is sarahroller.com. That's Sarah with an H, roller, like roller coaster. So you can check me out there. I do one-on-one coaching or one-on-two if it's couples. And I do a free consultation call. So for people who are just even curious, is this something I want to explore? I'm always happy. Obviously, I enjoy talking about this endlessly. So I'm always happy to chat with people, even if they're just vaguely curious about the process. Wonderful. Well, we will definitely have links in the show notes so people don't have to worry about spelling if they are out and about while they're listening to this, but it is pretty easy to find you. So we'll make sure those are there. And then my favorite way to end each interview is with three rapid fire questions. And so the first one is, what does minimalism mean to you? So I think it's being really critical or really evaluating what things are adding value to your life, whether that's objects or in my area of focus, that's money and making sure that, you know, what you're doing with your resources, let's say, are actually serving you 
as best I can. I like that. Your resources. Exactly. Because again, that could be your time, energy, money, all those kinds exactly. of things. So what is one of your favorite pieces of advice that you'd like to share today? I I reread the book Atomic Habits not too long ago. And it one of the key things in there is starting out really small. I see a lot of my clients, they have try to budget. They tried to do things on their own. They've tried New Year's resolutions and they've tried to make these really big sweeping changes and they just don't work long term. They might work for a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months. But for most people, it's just not sustainable to like just be a different person overnight. So I think starting out really small and just and also a lot of times clients were going through their budget and they're like, OK, I'm going to cut out this category completely. And I'm like, let's just Reduce it by 20%. Let's see how that feels. Let's get used to that. And okay, we're successfully doing that for a month or two. Now let's reduce it a little bit more. And so I think just starting out small, because when we fail at whatever we aspire to do, it's really disheartening and we just give up. So if you make it small incremental changes, your rate of success long term is just so much higher. Yeah, so good. So good. So agree. (laughs) (laughs) And then what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? So I am usually very critical of subscription-based thing. Yeah. It automates your spending. It, you don't get the opportunity. You're not prompted to reevaluate if this is something that you really you want to keep doing. Now, that can be great for things like contributing to your 401k or saving towards a long-term goal. In those cases, automate it. Make that hard decision once and then don't think about it again. But if you're signing up for an ongoing expense, that's not great. So despite everything I've just said, my favorite new expense is I signed up for a puzzle rental subscription where they send a puzzle to you. It's like the old like Netflix model when they would send an actual DVD and then you mail it back and then they send you a new one. But it's a puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle, which over the summer I was doing a few and I was like, I'm really enjoying this. This is like me time. I'm like in my zone. I'm blocking the world out. I'm blocking my kids out. I'm really enjoying this. Um, So now I get a new jigsaw puzzle. I'm not accumulating clutter because when I'm done, I just send it back and then they send me a new one. So that is my nerdy enjoyment of the moment. I love it. It's just a different look on self-care. That's your Mm -hmm. moment. Exactly. You're taking for yourself. You're not having to you know, I don't know. Yeah. Those things are great. I picked up an embroidery kit, like a little embroidery kit for Christmas because I'd never done it before. And I used to do cross-stitching when I was a kid. And yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Nice to do something a little bit different, work with my hands again, get out of my head. And so absolutely. And I think that kind of speaks 100% to the things you were talking about, how you spend your money that align with your values. And so absolutely, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) So fantastic. And also great. It doesn't add clutter. It just Exactly. You, yeah. You get when the I, benefit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was thinking I should do more puzzles and I have a couple in the house. So I did those. I'm like, I don't want to accumulate. I only do them. I only like doing yeah. them once. Yeah. I don't want to accumulate 50 puzzles. But yeah, so this is perfect. Really fun. All right. We're going to check that out. So you'll have to let us know what it is and I'll put a link in the show notes for the subscription. Yeah. So okay. if anybody else is interested in doing a puzzle subscription, by all means. So Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much wonderful information with us and just having us take a little bit of a different look at our spending. So yeah, Yeah, absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Cheers. Bye.
Wasn't that good? I loved chatting with Sarah and learning more about the money conversations that we can and should be having with our families. I'd love to know what stood out the most. Come on over to the Wannabe Minimalist Family Group on Facebook and share. Sharing your insights will help others on their journeys too, and it just might be the thing someone needs to hear today. As always, thank you for joining me. If you made it this far, I would be thrilled if you left me a review on Apple Podcast. Your reviews make my day and it helps me be able to book more guests on the show for you to discover and learn from. And thanks again to Sarah for joining us on the show today and for sharing some great advice. Remember, you can find out more about Sarah by heading over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 141. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 141. I hope you have an amazing day and I will see you back here next week for a solo show. Until then, I'm Deanna Yates and you've been listening to Wannabe Minimalist. Cheers. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.